0: If you can open your Bibles to the 20th Psalm, as we're enjoying going through most of the Psalms, it sure is amazing. It wasn't not my plan. I didn't do this because of the year we're going through or the times or the troubles that many people are experiencing. It's just by God's divine providence that it, just, it was just placed on my heart to, to preach these Psalms, but without even understanding truly why until I started studying them myself. And today's psalm, the 20th psalm, again, uh, is very applicable today to us today in the year 2020. This psalm fits, fits the occasion of a prayer service or a prayer and sacrifice on the eve of battle, on the evening of battle. And we all face battles, of course, spiritual battles for all of us. But some of us have even experienced other types of battles in our lives. Some of us have served in the military and have been in battle. Similarly, the psalm is very similar to back in 1942 when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. An army chaplain was asked to lead them into prayer. Really, more specifically, he was asked to lead them into battle via a prayer. And history tells us, and I quote, In the heat of the battle, he was asked by the men to say a prayer for them. Imagine that, as the planes were coming over Pearl Harbor, bombing our nation, as they were afraid that those were the last moments in their lives. It is said that the chaplain laid down his Bible, manned one of the machine guns, and shouted, "'Praise the Lord! Pass the ammunition!' This gesture boosted the morale of the soldiers and they continued in their continued defense of the harbor, end of quote. And that prayer has now become a famous, at least praise the Lord, pass out the ammo, or praise the Lord, pass out the ammunition, has now become a famous hymn and a famous song that is still encouraging to many military men and women today. And David's prayer was it this prayer that we're about to go through would be heard by God. As the prayer sacrifice was offered up, he or they would pray that God would accept their prayer and that their plans would succeed. And therefore, the division of this sermon will be as follows. Verses 1 through 5 is the people's prayer and success for the king. Verse 6 is the king's response. Verse 7 will be the people's confident prayer. And verse 8 declares the defeat of the foe. And verse 9 is a concluding appeal to Jehovah God. Let us begin by first reading the entire chapter, verses 1 through 9. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary, and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings, and accept thy burnt sacrifice, Selah. Grant thee according to thine own heart, and fulfill all thy counsel. We will rejoice in thy salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Verse 6. Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from the holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, let the King hear us when we call. Amen. Father, we pray that the sermon would glorify you as always, that it would exalt Christ, that your Holy Spirit will teach us and help us to pray better, uh, to pray with a reverential fear and respect for you and for your word as we pray, and to always pray that thy will be done as we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. In verse 1a, David said, the Lord hear thee prayer. The Lord hear the day of trouble. None of us knew or could understand troubles as David did. I think that's safe to to, to say. Uh, David's troubles were enormous giants compared to our troubles, even our troubles of the year 2020. Our Lord Jesus's days were most troubled, more troubled than any man that ever existed. Remember Jesus' dark hours in in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says in Matthew 25, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here where I go and pray there. He took with him Peter, and boy, Peter is a lot like me, or I should say I'm a lot like Peter, The the goofed up right here, a big goofball, Peter was. This is Bill Retz. And he took him, Peter, and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Imagine that, Christ, truly God but truly man. The man nature of him became sorrowful and deeply depressed. Then he, Jesus, said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. He wasn't only sorrowful and not only deeply distressed, he was exceedingly sorrowful even to the point of death. And then Jesus said, Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as your will, but as your will. Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords, so sorrowful, so distressed, so exceedingly sorrowful that he literally fell on his face. And he prayed, God, Father, let this cup pass. What was in that cup? The wrath of God, yes. The wrath of God. That this is the point in the time of Jesus that he would drink the full brunt of God's wrath that he would truly appease and satisfy God's wrath that every Christian would have endured had he not saved them. O oh Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will. For him to drink the entire wrath of God on that, right on that day. He didn't say, Lord, let my will be done. I am Lord of lords and King of kings, after all. He could have said that because he is Jesus, but his goal was to do thy Father's will as our goal should be too. He said, Lord, let thy will be done and not mine. If Jesus, our Lord, needed to pray to the Father, then how much more do we as sinners need to pray to our Father through the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit? John Gill said this, All the days of Christ were days of trouble. He was a brother born for adversity, a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. But more particularly, it was a day of trouble with him when he was in the garden, heavy and sore amazed, and his sweat was, as it were, drops of blood falling on the ground, and his soul was exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. But more especially this was his case when he hung upon the cross, when he bore all the sins of his people, endured the wrath of his father, and was forsaken by him. Now in this day of trouble, both were in the garden and on the cross, and he prayed unto his father as he had been used to do in all the other cases and at other times, and the church here prays that God would hear and answer him as he did. And so in this psalm, again, as many psalms that we're going to be going through, probably for at least a few months, is that David prays to God that he would hear his prayers and answer his prayers, as we should always ask God, Please, Lord, hear our prayers. I don't mean in a religious way, where we repeat ourselves, like I used to when I was a Roman Catholic, and at least one other person here when she was a Roman Catholic, Lord, hear our prayer, and Lord, hear our prayer not in a repetitive religious ritual way, but, Lord, hear our prayer. Hear our prayer, God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Three times in that garden, Jesus prayed to the Father. And so how many times should we pray to the Father in our troubles? Now in verse 1b, David said, The name of God of Jacob, defend thee. David calls out to the one true God, the only God, the God of the Scriptures, to the covenantal God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In verse 2, David said, Send thee help from thy sanctuary, and strengthen thee out of Zion. Send thee help from the sanctuary. Here David was calling to his father for help from above as we call to our Father from help from above. There's no help like help from above, from our Lord, our God. Only by the grace of God, so go I. But too many today in their miseries run to a bottle, or run to the prescription pill, or run to a doctor to make their pains and troubles go away, as I previously did. But don't run to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. But rather run to King Jesus. Rather run to the God of Jacob. Rather run to the great physician. The world will only give you a hug and a drug and a band-aid to put over your womb. But when we truly trust in our God, Jehovah God, for help, Lord willing, he provides us with a strength that we will either enable us to endure our troubles or help us by delivering us from our troubles and healing us from our troubles. You see, David was asking for backup, for support, for providence. Lord, send me more backup. I need more soldiers, more weapons, more ammunition. Of course, he didn't have ammunition like we have today. I need more supplies, more food, more water. I have experienced God bringing support in logistical forms, where the impossible was accomplished. Just a few of many, many, many examples, and many of you have your own stories and testimonies how God has also done this in your life, in even ways of divine intervention, and even miraculous ways that we could not understand because they are absolutely either miracles or difficult things that only God can do. But it. At times of need in the streets, how could a, a one man stand somewhere and then somehow end up with no more tracks after 500 or 1,000, and the crowd's gone and you only see a couple tracks on the ground? That's God providing providence. That's God working out the logistics, making sure that these lost souls would receive a track, and that Almost all of them would not throw them on the ground, as oftentimes will, hand, will happen at certain events. At police funerals, God has enabled me as just one man to hand out hundreds. And even one time at the Palm Springs funeral of two officers, 1,000 gospel tracts and one backpack within a couple hours at that funeral to mourning police officers. Giving the lawmen the law and the gospel warning the lawmen that they, too, just like the crook or the convict, are in need of salvation, and that every lawman will go to hell without salvation. In San Diego, God performed a divine providential opportunity where a team of us, a team of us, uh, many of us were successful in preaching the glorious gospel to 150,000 souls, is they were herded into increments of 50,000 people before each increment of 50,000 was allowed back into the convention center. 150,000 over a two-day period. We didn't have to rent a baseball stadium. We didn't have to pay millions and millions of dollars to present the gospel. We did it by praying to God, like David did, that God would provide, which he did. We didn't know how to accomplish this. But God answered our prayers. Lord, answer our prayer. Lord, we don't know what we're doing. We're just a bunch of knuckleheads. And God will answer our prayers. Our Lord provided me with literally an Acts Acts 14, verses 5 through 7. In Acts 14, it's called the tactical retreat, where the apostles were able to retreat and tactically retreat from an arrest. And one time... I was to be arrested at the Alamo in Texas for preaching the gospel on sovereign land. And it was a miracle that God protected me through a couple other people and provided me an avenue of escape from being arrested in Texas. Only only by God's divine intervention and providence can he ever provide somebody a way of escape from an arrest. Although sometimes it is his will that we would be arrested. We all have our stories, again, of miracles and divine interventions, and I guess you can call it providential miracles that we can't comprehend, that God has done in our lives. And oftentimes this is performed and accomplished by, Lord, hear our prayers, as we pray to God in faith. We cannot just pray to God. We must pray to God in faith, with a blind faith, and Lord willing that he might answer our prayers. Back to the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus had been arrested by the authorities, when Jesus got busted. Here is a, an arrest that he was not able to escape, because obviously it was the Father's will that he got arrested. Matthew 26. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword. This is where <laughs> this is me pulling the sword out when I shouldn't, wanting should do God's will. My wife's back there smiling, shaking her head, yes, because she'll tell you this is me. Peter cutting off the ears of people. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Things might happen in our lives. Things might happen to America that we do not like. Uh, But are these things come to fruition because God has ordained them and decreed them? Jehovah God gives help according to his divine will, but we must ask again in faith. This word sanctuary here means a holy thing or a place of holiness. But this is not an actual sanctuary here that that David was talking about. Perhaps the psalmist had in mind Zion, God's holy hill, uh, where the temple was located. That's a speculation. I don't know for sure, but many scholars believe that's the case. Nonetheless, God's holy hill goes beyond Jerusalem. God's sanctuary goes beyond Jerusalem. God's sanctuary goes beyond this sanctuary that the church happens to be sitting in on this Lord's Day. God provides holy hills everywhere, and those are the hills we're dying on. Church, ask the Lord to stretch out your faith. I, too, ask the Lord to stretch out my faith as well. Verse 2b says, And strengthen thee out of Zion. God sends help, and then he strengthens David in his troubles. I'm sure you would agree that it's it's a shame. It's a crying shame. It's a sad thing that during this coronavirus that so many professing Christians across this nation have chosen to disassociate themselves from fellowship and from sanctuaries where the church would gather, a place for the saints to gather and fellowship. But David's prayer, O Lord, send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. A sanctuary is a wonderful place for the church to be. John Trapp said this, that is, out of the assemblies of the saints where they are praying hard, for thy welfare. Spurgeon said this. I quote a lot of authors because these authors are obviously uh, much more. Uh, uh, let's just put it this way I'm nothing compared to these men, and I would rather quote men than give you my own personal opinions on every verse. But Spurgeon said that this verse is a benediction befitting a Sabbath morning and may be the salutation either of a pastor to his people or of a church to its minister. God in the sanctuary of his dear son's person and in the city of his chosen church is the proper object of his people's prayer. And under such a character, may they confidently look to him for his promised aid. End of quote. Moving on to verse 3, David said, Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice. "Law." Our prayers must happen in the context of of an offering or a sacrifice to God our prayers are a form of worship a form of worship as we speak to the one that is worthy of being worshiped as one author said before war kings offered sacrifice upon the acceptance of which they depend depend for success. Our blessed Lord presented himself as a victim and was a sweet savor unto the Most High, and then he met and routed the embattled legions of hell. Still does his burnt sacrifice perfume the courts of heaven, and through him the offerings of his people are received as his sacrifices and oblations." We ought in our spiritual conflicts to have an eye to the sacrifice of Jesus and never venture to war until first the Lord has given us a token for good at the altar of the cross, where faith belongs, her bleeding Lord. Where faith belongs, her bleeding Lord. This verse ends with the word selah, as many verses do. This selah in the Hebrew means a suspension of music, such as a pause or what we would what's known today as press pause press pause say law it's very very important recently our former pastor had mentioned a pregnant pause while one preaches a pregnant pause so that you would think and listen to what is about to be said following that verse as edward marbury said say law This word in the judgment of the learn is sometimes vox opantis, the voice of one that wisheth, equivalent to a man. Or vox admirantis, the voice of one admiring, showing some special matter. Or vox affirmantis, of one affirming, avouching what is said. Or vox meditantis, of one meditating, requiring consideration of what is said. But withal, it is a rest in music. Amen. But withal, it is a pause in the music, is what the Selah is. Take heed to the Selah and listen on. As Spurgeon said, say law, it is well to pause at the cross before we march onward to battle. And with the psalmist cry, say law. We are too much in a hurry to make good haste. A little pausing might greatly help our speed. Stay, good men. There is a haste which hinders. Rest a while. Meditate on the burnt sacrifice and put thy heart right from the stern work which lieth before thee. End of quote. Perhaps maybe on Thursday nights we should press pause and say la more often as we meditate, as we pray to our God on Thursday nights. And take our time as we take our turn praying in our corporate prayer and our prayers of intercession on a Thursday night prayer service. Say la. We should never be in a hurry to pray and to finish our prayer service. In verse 4, David said, Grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. David's prayer was, Lord, let thy will be done. Jesus' prayer was, Father, let your will be done. And so the godliest prayer, church, that we can have today in the 21st century is, Lord, let your will be done. In verse 5, he said, we will rejoice in thy salvation in the name of our God. We will set up manners and the Lord fulfill all thy petitions. The first portion says we will rejoice in thy salvation. Our Savior is Jesus, the son of the seed of David, and we too can rejoice in the salvation that he has gifted to us. To rejoice in thy salvation, but to even rejoice in troubles and tribulations as well. As the scripture says, rejoice in all things. Verse 5b said, and in the name of our God, we rejoice, and in the name of our God, we set, we will set up our banners. We will set up our banners. Acts 4.17 says this. You know, at all of these protests and rallies, I'm all for rallies, I'm all for proclamation. I'm all for even presidential rallies that we see. But I'm, all, but I'm more for a proclamation of the gospel, either audibly or through tracks or through signage. In some of these rallies, I'm seeing signs like repent and believe in the gospel. At these political rallies, they're lifting their banners high for the glory of God. Acts 4.12 says, There is is no salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Bear in mind that David and his own men were preparing for war. This is a war prayer, a battle prayer. This year, 2020, has been a challenging year for all of us, as I said earlier. Uh, But sadly, I'm seeing on social media, it's become a platform for a bad witness. It's become a platform for many pastors, even, grumbling and complaining on Twitter. I follow many of them on Twitter. It's shocking to see pastors demonstrate so little faith and so much flesh over the political controversies. And if their pastors are demonstrating little faith, then how much more are the sheep demonstrating little faith? Church, if we don't pass this test that the Lord has given us in this year of our Lord, 2020, he might give us an even more difficult 2021. But by faith we can say, Lord, let your will be done. And truly mean that from our heart. Lord, let thy will be done. We trust in you, Lord. What would you have us do with all of this mess? What would you have us do through all of this controversy? What would you have your bride do, Christ the bridegroom who died for his bride, the church? What shall we do? How can we accomplish your will, that your will be done? But not only do our spiritual battles belong on our knees, our physical battles do as well. As the great late Matthew Henry said, First we will wage war in his name, We will see that our cause be good, and make his glory our end in every expedition. We will ask counsel at his mouth, and take him along with us. We will follow his conduct, implore his aid, and depend upon it, and refer the issue to him. David went against Goliath in the name of the Lord of hosts. Secondly, we will celebrate our victories in his name. When we lift up our banners in triumph and set up our trophies, it shall be in the name of our God. He shall have all the glory of our success, and no instrument shall have any part of the honor that is due to him. Close quote. Because God is a jealous God, we must give all the honor that is due to him for the good results for our successes, and so forth. And so we, I, especially me, must repent from my faithlessness or my unbelief and from our not giving God all the glory for everything that is due to him. I'm going to read another quote. It's, a, it's an excellent quote from Spurgeon. It's, it's his exposition of verse 5. It's a bit long, but it's well worth it. Listen to this, church. In Jesus there is salvation. It is his own, and hence it is called thy salvation. But it is ours to receive and ours to rejoice in. We should fixly resolve that come what may. We will rejoice in the saving arm of the Lord Jesus. The people in the psalm, before their king went to battle, felt sure of victory, and therefore began to rejoice beforehand. How much more ought we do this when we have seen victory completely won? Unbelief begins weeping for the funeral before the man is dead. Why should not faith commence piping before the dance of victory begins? Buds are beautiful, and promises not yet fulfilled are worthy to be admired. If joy were more among God's people, God would be more glorified among men." And happiness of the subjects is the honor of the sovereign. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. We will lift the standard of the defiance in the face of the foe and wave the flag of victory over the fallen adversary. Some proclaim war in the name of one king and some of another, but the faithful go to war in Jesus' name, the name of the incarnate God, Emmanuel, God with us. The times are evil at present, but so long as Jesus lives and reigns in his church, we need not furl our banners in fear, but advance them with sacred courage. Jesus' tremendous name puts all our foes to flight. Jesus, the meek, the angry lamb, a lion, is in the fight, close quote. Boy, isn't it exciting that we belong to a church like Charles Spurgeon? 1689 Confessional, verse 6, is the king's response. In verse 6, David said, Now know that I, Lord, saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. He said, Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. This Lord in the Hebrew, is, as you already know, the word Yehovah, which means the existing one, is the proper name of the one true God, the one true God of the Bible. This word anointed is the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is the anointed one, or the Messiah, the King of Israel. In verse 6b, he said, he will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength in his right hand just as the Father God would rescue His Son, the Savior of the church, the Savior of Israel, which is the church. The church is Israel. Remember in my sermon on Isaiah 53, I spoke much about the arm of the Lord Jesus Christ, the arm of the Lord that was mentioned in Isaiah 53, 1, which says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is where the doctrine of interposition has been gleaned from, one of the verses. Gleaned from this passage, the arm of the Lord, where Jesus Christ interposes on behalf of his beautiful bride, his people, his church. Again, without the saving strength, with the saving strength of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can prevail. And first and foremost, it brought us salvation, Christ interposition, the strong arm of the Lord brought us salvation as he stood between the Father and us and interposed on our behalf with the strong arm of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be talking a little bit more about that in Catechism. Verse 7 is the people's confident prayer. It's providential that through this series, in Psalms, is so applicable to 2020. Again, I didn't plan this. It's not why I chose Psalms. The Psalms. I, it just—it just absolutely providential that it, this is all so applicable to us today. I've had—I've had to handle difficulties and how to rejoice in them and how to, I guess you can say. I don't want to sound like a prosperity preacher, beard. How how you how we can be successful through tra- trials, is triumph through tragedy, through the triumph one, Jesus Christ. This next verse looks like a snapshot or a portrait of America's response to today's troubles in 2020. But the question is, whom do you, I, or we truly, truly trust in? In verse 7, listen to this. David said, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. With today's political climate, especially on social media, many are seemingly, apparently trusting in man to save our nation. And some trust in chariots and horses. Many athletes are taking a knee in protest of our national anthem while supporting the Black Lives Matter movement and the Antifa movement. But Christians, we will remember the name of the Lord our God. David says we will remember the name of the Lord our God in this psalm. We Christians will take a stand for Christ, and we will only knee and bow down in prayer to the God of Jacob. While on our prayer bones, that's another thing I'm not even opposed to on Thursday nights. I was talking to, to Brother Robin about it. And you know, I'm not. There's there's carpet around the table. If you guys want to get down on your prayer bones and pray on your prayer bones on Thursday night, that's fine. It's not necessary. It's not required. It's not We can't use it as a form of idolatry, but if you want to be on your prayer bones praying to God through the Lordship of his Son, Jesus Christ, that's fine with me. Some scholars believe that David here was speaking only of the enemies of the nation of Israel, but I believe this text refers to the people of God. Uh, to, to now in the New Covenant, we would call them Christians, followers of Christ, believers, and, and the God of Jacob, and believers of his Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, so he's speaking, I believe, in the text, of uh, he's speaking to the people of God versus the lost world. John Calvin said this, And I do not restrict this to the enemies of Israel, as is done by some interpreters, I am rather inclined to think that there is here a comparison between the people of God and all the rest of the world. We see how natural it is to almost all men to be more courageous and confident the more they possess of riches, power, and military forces. The people of God, therefore, here protest that they do not place their hope as in the usual way with men in their military forces or warlike apparatus." but only in the aid of God. As the Holy Spirit here sets the assistance of God in opposition to human strength, it ought to be particularly noticed that whenever our minds come to be occupied by carnal confidence, they fall at the same time into a forgetfulness of God. It is impossible for him who promises himself victory by by confiding in his own strength to have his eyes turn towards God. Close quote. I'm sure, as everybody is here, I never discussed it with anybody here, to be honest with you, but I'm sure you're all pro-military, I guarantee that, but I'm sure you're also pro-building up of the military and pro-enhancing our military, and, and I have to say, over the last three and a half years, our, our current president has done a fantastic job at rebuilding and strengthening our military. And glory goes to God for that. God decreed him for that, I believe, for just, not just that purpose, but one of many purposes. And so I am a proponent of building up and strengthening our military, but not at the expense of trusting in the military over the Lord. Not at the expense of not trusting in our Lord. Though I'm thankful that our military is stronger today than it was yesterday, but we must trust in the Lord For the protection of our nation over our chariots, over our weapons, over our princes, of whomever they may be. Spurgeon said this, The most dreaded war engine of David's day was the war chariot, armed with scythes, which mowed down men like grass. This was the boast and glory of the neighboring nations, but the saints considered the name of Jehovah to be a far better defense. Psalm 146 says a similar cross reference verse Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth, in that very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his health, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Happy is the church who has the God of Jacob for his help. Because our hope is in the Lord our God. In the next verse, David makes a clear distinction between those whom bow down before and those whom stand. Verse 8 declares the defeat of the foe. They are brought down, or one translation says, they are bowed down and fallen, They are brought down or bowed down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Those who trust in the Lord and not in princes or chariots are standing while the others are falling. So church, let us always be a church that primarily trusts in the Lord. Let us always be a church that will not flinch in the face of adversity. And we can do this by faith. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, strengthen, increase our faith so that we can accomplish this. Because it's not always easy. This morning I sent every one of you an email of a a sermon recently preached. When it is to disobey. When civil disobedience is appropriate and biblical by Pastor Stephen Richardson. He personally contacted me about that sermon and, and, and through a Facebook message, he sent me a private message. I won't get into the details. But the authorities came to his church, the police, just after he preached that sermon to investigate his sanctuary to see if they are COVID-compliant. And he now prays for protection because he may face serious fines and problems. He is a pastor. Please read that sermon if you haven't. Watch that. Listen to that sermon. I wish I can speak as eloquently as he could. But most importantly, he's solid. His doctrine is solid. We must not flinch in the face of adversities through these difficult times. I'm not a prophet. We don't have prophets anymore. But I really truly believe that the times will get worse before they get much better. Verse 9 is a concluding appeal to Jehovah God or a summary petition Verse 9 says, Save, Lord, let the king hear us when we call. Because our king is King Jesus. Our God saves. My God saves. Your God saves. And when King Jesus came, he was riding on a donkey, which represented peace. But church, when he's returning, he's returning on a white horse, which represent, represent war. And wrath upon the unregenerate. As it says in Revelation chapter nineteen, all of these pictures you see on some religious walls, inside some church buildings, this photo this photograph of Jesus, it's not they're not biblical. They're actually in violation of the second commandment. It says right here in Revelation nineteen, this is a picture of Jesus. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him, followed Jesus on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for every jot and tittle. Thank you for your psalms. Thank you for all of them, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Though they were written thousands of years ago, they are applicable to us today. Because you, Jesus, are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You, Jesus, the head of this church, are the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come. Please, Holy Spirit, help us apply these verses to our lives. Please help us magnify our Father. Please, Father, let your will be done. Please hear our prayers as a little church. Please continue to grow us in your grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and by the power of your Word of God. In Christ's name, amen.